This summer, we're exploring the book of 1 Peter together. And we're doing this because Peter's letter is written to Christians who know the good news of the gospel. That tremendous story of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. But despite knowing that story and believing that it is good news, they still experience suffering and great pain. And Peter, in this letter, he encourages them to know hope, to know Jesus, who is their living hope, and to reset their mind, to reorient their lives toward that hope again and again. Last week, the passage that Pastor Nestor preached on concluded with the reminder that we have been born anew, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. This being born anew is in part why we are exiles, because we no longer fit neatly into the categories offered to us by our natural births. How often we forget this truth. We are born anew into a new people, a new kingdom, and our allegiances have shifted from the allegiances of our natural birth, of our own nation, our own blood, our own compatriots, to a new faithfulness to Jesus as our Lord and to the very least of those brothers and sisters of his as our chief concern. Although we are already Rather, already we are reminded quite simply. We're reminded quite simply by the concept of Christians being exiles in this world and the reality of our new birth, that if our loyalties lie more with a nation than with persecuted Christians in Iran or Palestine, more with your political party than with Christians who vote another way than you or cannot vote at all, more with an ethnic group or an ideological group than with Christians who come from an entirely other context but share with you the fact that they proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, more with brothers and sisters who share earthly parents than with those who join you in crying out to our Abba Father, if your allegiances lie more with these things than with your fellow Christians, then something is terribly wrong. We have assumed the identity of a citizen rather than the mindset of an exile from God's kingdom. We have clung to our birth by perishable things rather than living into the truth of our new birth by the imperishable. We are told by Peter that we can now have genuine mutual love and ought to love one another deeply. This is the call of our new birth, and it is for this reason that today's passage began with a litany of things that we ought to rid ourselves of. Rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. These, you should note, are all relational sins. They have to do with how we treat one another, and they are antithetical to the love which we are now capable of 
in Jesus, and they are betraying of the new birth which we all have in him. We ought not be evildoers, harming others if we are born of the Spirit which brings peace. We ought not to be cunning, deceiving others with, from our true intentions, because our intentions ought to be to reveal Christ. We ought not to be insincere or jealous or slanderous, because these things undermine or conceal the word that has been preached to us, which is sincere, which is our greatest treasure, which is, in fact, the very truth. Peter calls us to become innocent like children, to be newborn babies and to crave pure spiritual milk. And this word for crave, it doesn't only mean to desire it, but it actually means to need it. And we are to need it so that we may grow up into our salvation. And some of you might wonder, what exactly does that mean? Does that mean salvation is our only ours if we earn it? No. This salvation is already ours but we must grow into it. It needs to fit us when we're trying it on, and this salvation will fit us when we are like Jesus. So if we're trying to be like Jesus, if we're trying to grow into our salvation and Jesus is the very image of our salvation, then of course we must rid ourselves of deceit of hypocrisy, of envy and slander, and we ought to desire to be like Christ, if indeed we have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter, when he says this, he's quoting Psalm 34. But for those of you who are familiar with common communion liturgy, familiar with the words that we say when we come to the Lord's Supper, you might remember and note that a common line is taste and see that the Lord is good. And we use this line at communion intentionally when we gather together around the table because it is in community which we discern the goodness of God. And so it is in this community that Peter is urging us to love one another. We are not born anew alone, but we are born anew to love one another sincerely, putting aside all malice and slander such that we will be built together as living stones. Once again, as Jesus is, a living stone rejected by mortals, so should we be. Jesus lived a life of exile as a wanderer, Having left the comfort of his father's home, he came to us to be like us, to know the pain and the sorrow of life as we know it, but also to invite us into his joy. He was chased from his own hometown with the threat of stoning. He was mocked by his brothers and sisters. 
He was besieged with traps set by religious leaders. He was scorned and hated by many, rejected and despised. So then, being so familiar with his life as many of us are, we should not at all be surprised to know that in the call to follow Christ is also the truth that we will experience many of those same things which he has experienced, that those experiences are common to all who become like him. So we too are exiles. We too are called to be as the stone that the builders reject. We are exiles because we cannot behave in the ways that the world behaves. We are exiles because we are born again into that which is imperishable, living among a perishable world. Exiles because we no longer truly belong to the nations, parties, and various identities which once defined us, but now we belong only to Jesus Christ, who has given us new birth and new citizenship. We are a new people who do not belong to any nation under heaven, who no political system can truly abide. We are called to be as foreigners wherever we are. Now that might sound like a particularly lonely way of life. Being in exile seems to carry with it the weight of isolation. But this is not really what Peter is driving at. In this passage, he seems to be going to great lengths to underscore again and again the way that community is to shape our lives. We are exiles, yes, but we are not alone. We are exiled in community. We are bound together with others who are joined together with Christ, the chief cornerstone. These are our truest family and our greatest friends, where genuine love ought to abound, as we are like living stones being built together into a single spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Together, we form a new people, a race of exiles for now, a new humanity. This is often how the New Testament will speak about the church. It's consistently the vision for the church articulated by the apostles. In Ephesians 2, verse 15, it puts it this way. Jesus' purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. At this time, the Jewish worldview was that there were Jews and then there were Gentiles. There were the chosen people of God and then there was everybody else. But Jesus Christ becomes the cornerstone of a temple made of living stones. And by him, these two groups are joined together into one building, a spiritual temple, now together offering sacrifices which are finally acceptable to God. I'm sure you have realized that we still live in a world that likes easy and clean divisions between people. 
These divisions have often been made by people with privilege to secure their comfort and power. You know the list. We have white people, and then we have people of color, everybody else. We have straight, cisgender people, and then we have LGBTQ+, everybody else. We have liberal and conservative. And you can finish this list because it goes on and on and on and is very familiar to each of us. We have divided ourselves again. And we've done it in the church for a long time, too. We have taken the cues of our culture and our world, and we have internalized them so deeply that we fail to realize that new humanity, which was Christ's very purpose. But this is not the will of the Father. This was not the purpose of the Son. Rather, it was to create one new humanity, to join all these very many disparate groups together. And the new humanity does not eliminate the beautiful, multifaceted glory and diversity of God's creation, which is present in many cultures and experiences of life. It's not about eliminating those things. Rather, it's about bringing them together that together we might all be enriched and nourished by each other, that with one voice we might glorify our God and Father. This has often been what I've most loved about my experience of the church. In high school, in the Presbyterian church where I grew up, I could be friends, real genuine friends with people who were easily four times my age. I knew that they loved me and they cared about me, even though I had no relationship with them apart from the church. What a beautiful gift that was to me. If you are old enough to be four times the age of a high school student in our church, I wonder how many of them do you know and how many of them know your love and friendship for them. Are we robbing ourselves of some of the best gifts of the church by not loving one another as we ought to? So too, despite attending schools where I was sometimes honestly the only white guy in my classes, and despite having friends who were mostly from very different cultural backgrounds than my own, it is still only in the church that I've seen and experienced the beauty and goodness of other cultures most deeply. In this church, just skimming the surface, I've been able to learn about and appreciate the beauty of Nauru's, the Persian New Year, and to get to know aunties and their baked goods from throughout the Caribbean. Here, where, like living stones, we are being built together. So we are exiles, but we're not meant to be alone. And so, too, we are exiles, but this is not intended to mean that we are aimless wanderers. Rather than aimless, we have a purpose in this way of living. Even as Jesus' purpose was to be our cornerstone to draw such very different people together, so also we have a purpose that we together would grow into our salvation 
that we together would be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, proclaiming the mighty acts of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are to become messengers of this very good news, not only in word, but also in deed. And we are sent out into the world to bear this news to all people. We are foreigners and exiles on a sort of diplomatic mission, if you will, calling another place home, but with a purpose everywhere we go, serving that country which is our true home, that we might understand the people who we're among and offer to them the message of peace that we carry with us. Peter concludes this section of his letter with words that are meant to stir our hearts with gratitude for how God has already acted for us and to stir our hearts with hope for what these incredible actions mean for our future. He writes, once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Knox Church, once you were not a people. Once you were many different peoples, with many different identities and purposes, with different communities. Many of you were unlikely to ever know one another and far less likely to ever love one another. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people, God's special possession, because in you the kingdom which we are longing for can be seen, however dimly, until that time when God's marvelous light fills the whole of creation. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You did not receive mercy before you were a people, and you were not a people before you received mercy. These things, rather, they came hand in hand. Mercy has been given to you together with all of the church, and it has built us together so we need not hold malice in our hearts, because in God's great mercy, we have been given a new heart of kindness. And we can release all deceit and hypocrisy from us, for God has seen the truth of who we are, and in love has offered to us salvation. And slander should be far away from us, falling away, so we can do the work which the Father has given to us, that we would declare the praises of him who has called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. It is true that we are exiles in this world, but we are offered hope that we do not live this life alone. Rather, we have been made a new people and given a new purpose to the honor and glory of God, that in our lives his light might shine to still more places until all the world knows the goodness of his mighty acts. Truly, in our lives and by our prayers, may his kingdom come. Amen. Would you pray with me, church? God and Father of all, 
how true it is that once we were not a people. And yet in you and by you, you have made us a new humanity. We acknowledge that we often forget that and still more often don't really know what that means. And yet you give us this vision of being built together into a spiritual temple with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone, that he might bind us together, that we might be one even as you are one. We pray that we would experience this, that we would experience this for ourselves and that this gift would also be a gift to our children. We pray that our church would be an image of that goodness for our neighborhood at Harvard and Spadina, for the city of Toronto and for the world which you love and call us to serve. Holy Spirit, would you speak to each of us as we reflect on these words of yours written by Peter? Would you give us imaginations for how it is you're calling us to be more like your son, to grow into our salvation together, to be exiles but not alone, to be exiles but with a purpose? We pray this all in your name. Amen. We do want to give you time to reflect on what the Spirit might be saying to you, to our church. And so we have a few reflection questions for you to pray about, to journal, to discuss with those nearby you. The first is, how might Jesus be challenging you to identify more fully with your fellow exiles in the church? And the second question is sort of a different spin on that first one. What would it look like for our church, not just for you personally, but for our whole community, to be built more closely together as living stones? And then finally, how are you actively proclaiming the mighty acts of him who has called you? We'll give you a couple of minutes to reflect on these questions. Thank you. 